Welcome to Superheroes of Science. I'm Stephen. And I'm Sarah. We co-host Science from the Experts. Our guests are professionals doing cutting-edge science right now. They're experts in their field discussing what they know best. So listen up and learn real science from real people. Subscribe now and stay informed of our latest episodes and show your support. Today on Superheroes of Science, we're excited to welcome back Professor Raphael Long from the Department of Physics and Astronomy here at Purdue University. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for being here. And Happy to I be think here. we're going to learn a little something about dark matter. Uh, yeah, sure. Pass I like away. the welcome back part. Basically, we lock the door and let it be. <laughs> We didn't see our Eclipse episode. <laughs> Go back and listen to that one, watch that one. <laughs> you guys are talking about dark matter. Yeah. Well, you know, I the mean, Eclipse stuff is getting dark, so in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a fun fact about dark matter. Okay, so you've heard of dark matter, right? No, but I don't really know what I don't know what it is. Yeah, okay, welcome to the club. That's exactly the point, right? So <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. We So the basic point is we know that the universe is full with dark matter. This stuff is everywhere. And we have no freaking clue what it's made out of. What? Right? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's really How like, do you study something? You have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I That's know exactly the problem. That is the problem. Okay, so so my research <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> exactly. My research is exactly that. My question is, my research question is, how can I build a detector to catch dark matter particles? And the, the question is, well, how do you build it? And yeah, I don't know. You know, we try out different stuff, and so far everything we've tried doesn't work. So we keep trying, but you know. Yeah, so okay, so for maybe first step back. How do we know that all this dark matter is? Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, yeah, yeah right. Um, so really, there we have a dozen pieces of evidence from all over cosmology, from all over astrophysics, whether we look at small objects that like dwarf galaxies or galaxies, or whether we look at galaxy clusters, the universe as a whole, um, there's always evidence for dark matter. Whether we look at, you know, today in the universe, we make our observations, or whether we look at very early times near the Big Bang, cos uh, the cosmic microwave background radiation, for example, of Big Bang nucleosynthesis, only three minutes after the Big Bang. No matter what we look at, we have all these pieces of the puzzle that give us evidence that dark matter does exist. And all those pieces, fit together under the dark matter hypothesis. Now the question becomes, you know, okay, so, so give me an example, right? Yeah. The easiest example is not the best example from a scientific point of view, but the easiest example to explain is rotation curves of galaxies. Okay, you need a whiteboard here. Don't you have a whiteboard? Do you have a no. whiteboard? Why not? Do you have a piece of paper and a pen? Anything? Well, really? It's a podcast. Yeah. It's audio. Ugh. You have to be able to scroll it. Okay, fine, 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 fine. <laughs> good, good, good. Uh, now you're telling me. <laughs> we can do it. We're going to visualize. Okay, okay, good. So let's, let's, let's start with something that you know. Let's start with our planetary system, our solar system. Yes. So we have the sun at the center, and all the planets go around the sun. Yes. Okay. The further the planets are out, so, you know, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Pluto all the way, they get they go around the sun slower and slower. Uranus and Neptune really move around the sun very slowly, whereas Mercury, all the way on the inside, whizzes around the sun with this crazy speed. Okay. This is actually known to you know physics teachers, it's called Kepler's Law. Okay, it's yeah. one of Kepler's laws. Okay. Good. That's how we understand gravity. If you are in a gravitational potential well, or just to say if you are orbiting 
an, a, an object like the sun, mm -hmm. the further out you are, the more slowly you will go. Okay. And you go like, wait, why is that? Uh, well, you actually know that exactly if you are on a merry-go-round, if you are standing further in on a merry-go-round, you can sustain higher speeds before <laughs> throwing up. Yeah. If you are further out, you need to hold on much more tightly so that you don't fall off. Uh, if you are further out, it, you get dizzy much more quickly. It, right. it, you don't mm -hmm. want it to go so fast. It's the exact same law. It's just to say centripetal forces get larger the further out you are, so you have to be slower okay. to you know, not fall off your merry-go-round. Or the planet has to go around more slowly so that it doesn't, you know, so that it isn't ejected from the solar system. Good, that's understood. Now let's look at the Milky Way galaxy, or for that matter, any galaxy you pick, but you know why not our Milky Way? There, something similar is happening. Stars go around the center of the galaxy, right, in this, mm -hmm. uh, along the galactic plane. And you say, oh, okay, you know, I know galaxy, been there, done that, right? I know merry-go-rounds, I know uh, planetary systems, yeah. so let's just do the same thing. The stars on the inside, okay. they will go quicker, and the mm -hmm. stars on the outside will go more slowly, right? And then, okay, now we can make a measurement of how stars, are, how fast our stars going around. How you do that is where you just look at them, right? And you see mm -hmm. the Doppler shift, actually. So just like the police cars give you tickets for speeding, mm -hmm. you measure the speed of the stars. Um, good. And so uh, you measure that, and uh, lo and behold, what you find is ah, something's off. It is actually not the case that the further out you are, the more slowly stars move around. But, big surprise when Vera Rubin and others discovered this in the 1960s, stars move around the Milky Way galaxy with the same speed no matter their distance. What? Something's weird, like, what, what, what? Yeah. Okay, so this is weird, and you go like, okay, some, something's not right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what, what could not be right? Maybe we don't understand gravity properly, right? Maybe, you know, something with a simple merry-go-round picture is wrong. Uh, take my word for it or ask me about it. Um, that's not, that, that's the wrong hunch. Uh, the right hunch is to say, no, actually what needs to happen is um, the, because the stars are moving around the Milky Way galaxy so quickly, so fast, there must be an extra force that keeps them in their orbit that keeps them glued to the Milky Way, that prevents them from falling off. Similarly, like in your merry-go-round, mm -hmm. if you go around the merry-go-round faster and faster and faster, you have to hold on more tightly. Mm -hmm. You have to have more force yeah. to prevent you from falling off. The same thing is true for those stars. There has to be an extra force that keeps the stars in orbit, that prevents them from falling off. Now, what forces are there in the Milky Way? Well, there's gravity. Where does gravity come from? It comes from mass. And you say, okay, that's fine. I can just look at all the mass that's there, right? Stars, planets, black holes, gas clouds. You know those pretty pictures that you get from the Hubble and now the Webb Space Telescope that you put in your bathroom, which looks nice, right? All this stuff, you add all this up and you say, I know how much mass there is. I can calculate how much gravity there is, right? That's just Newton's law, GMM over R squared. Um, wait, no, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. The gravity from the mass that we can observe is not sufficient to keep the stars in their orbits. So something needs to be there that is unseen to our telescopes that provides additional mass, through its additional mass, provides additional gravity that keeps the stars in their orbits around the Milky Way galaxy. Does that make sense? Yes. That's it. That's it. Bob, we need extra mass, right? We need, there needs to be, there's a piece of evidence that I just presented that says that because of the rotation curve, because the rotation curves of galaxies are flat, right? They don't fall off like you would expect mm -hmm. from Kepler's law, but they have a constant speed independent of mm -hmm. their distance. 
because the rotation curves of galaxies are flat, there needs to be extra unseen matter that keeps the galaxies together. Okay. Let's give that matter a name, let's call it dark matter. Now, that's one piece of evidence, and it's perhaps, it's the one that's closest to our home. If we look at our planetary system, there's no real evidence for it there. The dark matter is too diffuse to play a role there. Um, there are other pieces of evidence, but they tend to be a little bit harder to, to grasp. There's more context that is needed. Um, but um, I, you know, just, I don't know if I want to even mention a few. If we can look at galaxy clusters where galaxies are orbiting each other. And there too, you can imagine if they don't move fast enough, they would all, you know, crash into each other and collapse. If they are moving too fast, they would just fly apart. And so the fact that, you know, there are galaxy clusters tells you that galaxies have to move just right with a speed that is just right. So it's not too fast to explode and not too slow to crash into each other. Um, the technical term is the, the burial theory applies. Ooh, that was a buzzword. Who cares, right? So but just, just avoid being right. If they, if they are too slow, they would crash into each other. If they are too fast, they mm -hmm. would fly apart, right? If, if they are faster than the escape speed, for example. And so um, from that, again, you can calculate, you can watch, you can measure how fast they are. So um, you can calculate how much gravity there should be but then you look at the mass that you observe and it cannot provide enough gravity than what should be there. So there has to be extra mass. There has, has to be extra matter in galaxy clusters. Again, another piece of evidence for dark matter. But So it seems like <clears throat> dark matter is just a name on something that we're assuming is there to explain what we don't understand. That's how it started, yes. Uh, absolutely right. Uh, philosophers get a kick out of that because you know it's, a, it's, a, it's not a pre-hypothesis, but it's a post-thesis. Um, but the uh, today the situation is a bit different. Uh, fast forward by 50, 60 years from those measurements that I've the first measurements that indicated that something was wrong was already in the 1920s, 1930s, mm -hmm. 60s. Really, you know, just really took off. But since then, a lot of other measurements have been made as well, where stuff just doesn't add up right. Specifically, one very important one is, for example, the cosmic microwave background radiation. Um, I actually don't know, is the cosmic microwave background radiation part of uh, the curricula at, at, at schools? Well, the electromagnetic spectrum is. So yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. High school-wise. Mm. Okay, I'll explain it and you'll cut it out because it's probably a bit over the top, but nonetheless, maybe you have some geeks and they'll like it. So here's what, <laughs> <laughs> here's what goes on. So the universe in the Big Bang was super hot. Okay. Now we know anything that is hot uh, gives off thermal radiation, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. you can feel it if you are near a heating oven. You don't actually, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. So okay, um, so the universe did that too, and uh, this radiation since has the universe has cooled, so it is cooler. But that radiation is still around because where should it go, right? I mean, it's the universe is everywhere, right? right. So it, that radiation has to be around still, and so we can look for that. It has cooled down to. This radiation was emitted when the universe became transparent. This is when it was orange, so temperatures of a few thousand uh, degrees. By now, this temperature has cooled to 2.3 Kelvin. So two degrees uh, Celsius above, well, four degrees Fahrenheit above absolute zero. Mm -hmm. um, and we can look, we can measure and watch and, and observe and yet detail this radiation in microwaves. So there's big satellites that are going up that map this out and essentially observe the universe as it looked like when it was only, you know, 300,000 years old. This is when this radiation got emitted. That's when the universe was orange. That's when the plasma 
turned uh, into, essentially somebody turned off the light bulb. It cooled so much that the light bulb turned off. And so the universe became transparent. And we can study that radiation very well. And that's actually great. For starters, this radiation, this, the fact that this radiation exists was a prediction from the Big Bang Theory. And it's one of those many, many pieces of evidence that show us that the Big Bang Theory is actually right. It's the right thing. Because there were a lot of things that were predicted that turned out to be correct. And so this is one of those predictions. Today, what we can do is we can study that in great detail. Uh, what people do is they do something like, um, we, we study what is called the power spectrum. That's again, a fancy term. Maybe you've heard of a Fourier transformation. It's something similar. You look at, you know, at which, in a Fourier transformation, you look at which frequencies is something going on. Here, this is a two-dimensional map of the universe that, you know, look at the night, at the sky. And so we look at, uh, um, not this function of frequency, but this function of, of angular scale. It's called the power spectrum. But it's essentially the same idea that with the Fourier transform. We just look at where is there power in the structure of the universe. And what we find from that is very clearly that um, there has to be a component to the early universe where matter, not only you know matter does its thing and it wobbles around as it, and it sloshes around in the early universe because it's all expanding, but there has to be a component of the matter that doesn't interact with that light. So even there, it's a, it's a bit hard to explain just in words um, and you know, given the context. The point being that even 300,000 years after the Big Bang, there is light emitted from the universe, which we can study to infer that at this time, there was five times more matter in the universe in a form that does not interact with light compared to all we know about. And so that's actually interesting because that gets us back to the term dark matter. Uh, historically, the first evidence for dark matter came from telescope observations, and people just didn't see that matter in their telescopes, so they called it dark. Today, we actually learned, for example, specifically from the cosmic microwave background radiations observation, that dark is actually a misnomer. It, um, this matter doesn't interact with light at all. So it shouldn't be called dark matter, it should be called transparent matter. But in, you know, dark matter sounds so much cooler. So <laughs> yes, <it does. laughs> the, the name, the name is, uh, sticks. So there's a lot of, piece of pieces of evidence. I just you know, gave you a couple. There's maybe a dozen or so pieces of evidence. And the cool thing is that you can explain all those weird things going on, all those things where you go like, ah, something's not quite right. You can explain all of them at the same time by just assuming that, that dark matter exists. That's the short answer to your question. Okay. Right? So just one piece of evidence of any of those wouldn't be enough to convince anybody. Yeah. But because there's a dozen different pieces of evidence, and they are vastly different. Cosmic microwave background radiation, um, how do chemical elements form, how do stars and galaxies move, how do, how do uh, galaxies move, how, do, how does the universe evolve. We study all those things, and they all require the presence of dark matter. But and this is something that you're actively trying to, I want to say, prove it's there to detect it. To I would argue that we have discovered dark matter in the sense that we have proven that it exists. All this dozen pieces of evidence require the existence of dark matter, and so really the the science today doesn't ask the question: Does dark matter exist? Mm -hmm. What we try to do to to do tar what we try to do today is we try to figure out. What is it made out of? I mean, what the, right? I mean, yeah. there's all this stuff. There's five times more stuff in the universe than meets the eye. Okay. And it's not made from anything we know of. 
the entire periodic table of elements, all the elementary particles you have ever heard of, whether that's electrons, protons, neutrinos, muons, quarks, you name it, none of that. It has to be something completely different. It's completely outside the standard model of particle physics. Mm -hmm. It's completely outside chemistry, and we have no freaking clue what it actually is made out of. So then to, to, ta or to, to study that, mm. or to take any kind of readings or anything, how do you, like, what types of data are, or instruments, because you have to collect some kind of yeah, data, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, but it, you said it's transparent to light, doesn't interact with light. Yep, I can't use a telescope, so that's out. Okay. Yep. So here's the, here's my research. Okay. Um, what we realize is that, okay, we take our spaceship, it's called Earth, and we fly with it through the Milky Way. Right? Okay. It's free, by the way. It's really cool, it's right? Wonderful. It's just, yeah. uh, <laughs> and so on the way around the Milky Way, we encounter a headwind of all this dark matter. We are flying through this this cloud, this halo of dark matter that surrounds the Milky Way. And by the way, there's another piece of evidence. You need that halo to make the disk stable. Otherwise, it would have been falling apart a long time ago. Um, so, okay, so we... we, we encounter this headwind of dark matter, the question that I'm asking is, could I build a machine, a detector, with which I could catch some of you know, dark matter out of this headwind? And the answer is we don't know, but you go like, how do you go about doing that? And this is the beauty about my research, what I really love about it. This is very basic elementary science. It's hypothesis testing. What you do is you say, well, could it be that dark matter is made out of and if that was the case, then I predict that. And uh, so if you build a detector that would, then you should see it. And I go like, okay, great. Let's build a detector that and see whether your hypothesis is right or wrong. Okay. And so far, all the hypotheses that we've tested came out wrong. But we have some really cool ideas that we are, that we are testing. And the good news is the detectors that we are building today, we do have the technology to test what my colleagues and I are considering our most promising hypotheses. That doesn't mean that we're going to discover something. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that those hypotheses are correct when I say promising, but they are popular because they are good reasons to believe that they might be true. I'll give you an example. Where do particles get their mass from? You may have heard of that. Um. There was a particle that was discovered at the Large Hadron Collider a few years ago. That was the... Higgs boson, exactly. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. That's I mean, that's just what. Okay, right. So we have we've just discovered the Higgs boson a few years oh, ago yes. Yes, exactly. at Large Hadron Collider, and the Higgs boson is through this weird mechanism uh, is what gives particles mass. Okay. okay, good. So elementary particles. So good. So we understand. Those people that work on that, they understand uh, how particles get mass. Okay, cool. So I can ask this. I know that dark matter has mass, right? Because, I mean, that's that's all I see. That that's right. As a matter of fact, that's one of the very few things that I do know about dark matter. Is it must have mass, right? Okay. Because I see its gravitational effects. Okay. Okay, so dark matter has mass. Normal matter that we know of gets its mass from the Higgs boson. So could it be that dark matter gets its mass from the Higgs boson as well. No, I don't know. We don't know. Nobody knows the answer to that question. But it's, you know, that, that's a good hypothesis. I mean, you know, why? Could be, right? Mm -hmm. Why not? If that was the case, 
Let's just assume, let's make a hypothesis, dark matter gets its mass from the Higgs boson, just like other elementary particles that we know about, too. Good. Then, that's fantastic, because now you, now you have a call to action. You say, well, we know that we can communicate with the Higgs boson. Hey, we've discovered it, right? We measure it routinely now. And so, under this hypothesis, the Higgs boson can talk to the dark matter. So I can use the Higgs boson as a bridge from our world into the dark world. Okay. So I can calculate, or some other people can calculate, um, what that would mean for the interaction strength. How likely would it be to, for dark matter to walk this bridge and interact with us through this Higgs boson bridge? And um, the good news is, long, long story short, um, right now I'm, we are taking data with a detector that if this bridge is there, should be able to discover dark matter. In other words, we are right now taking data with an experiment. This will take us a few more years. It's difficult and it takes 150 people and it's an international collaboration with, you know, yeah, I mean, this is, this is really hard stuff. I mean, welcome to science. Hey, you know, you know about that, right? So science has to be hard. You know why? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, because otherwise somebody else would have done it already. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fair. Well put. Yeah. So simple, right? So, yeah. no, it's, it's freaking hard. It's it's at, at the edge of what is possible by right. definition, right? Yeah. And so we, we're trying really hard. But the good news is we do have a machine that if this Higgs bridge exists, we should be able to walk it. We should be able to discover dark matter if this Higgs bridge exists. Or conversely put, if, it, if we don't discover it, we can we can make a very strong statement about you know dark matter not getting its mass from the exposure. Mm -hmm. At which point we would have learned something. We still, you know, darn, we still wouldn't have figured out what dark matter actually is, but we would have learned something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, step by step. It's tedious, it's hard, it's high risk, and yes, it could be that I spent my entire career working on an experiment that turns out, you know, at the end. <laughs> yeah. There you go. But you don't know. There's exactly only one way to find out which experiment is going to be successful. That's you have to do it. Yeah. There's no way around it. So a lot of this, I feel like you have to be really comfortable with failure. Oh, absolutely. And what are some ways that you can even prepare to go into research in this field? You know, I think this is a general piece of advice that I would give. No matter, dark matter is an extreme version of that. But if you're going into research, you have to be prepared or you have to accept failure and you have to just suck it up. Um, really, most, most of the scientists that I know are, I mean, just like myself, I consider myself a hopeless optimist because, hey, if I would be an optimist, I mean, I would have been out of this long time ago, right? You kind of have to be a bit, you know, nutty in that way that you just, ah, oh, but maybe I haven't tried out this yet. Let's try this. But, okay, here's another thing about dark matter, which is good fun, <laughs> which is good fun. So, the, um, we, it's a it's an interesting kind of research because all my no, no, none of my colleagues know what dark matter is except of course they know exactly that whatever it is that they are working on is the one gold thing that is going to be right for sure right uh -huh. yeah. it's kind of funny to see this optimism there but it's also the community is amazing so it's a very international community I, I love doing just this research every day we have telecons uh, so I'm working in this collaboration we have 150 scientists from I don't know 30 institutions in 20 countries something like that I have a telecon every day with people from Japan, from China, from, of course, the U.S., from Europe. Um, we have people in... in um, I had a, a student here. She was coming from Iran. She was studying with me here at Purdue, and she worked together with a graduate student in Israel. How cool is that? 
right? I mean, it's just, you know, you, you, you turn on the TV and you see all this crap and then you go to work and you see people just working together and having fun doing it and, and, and working to this greater common good. Uh, I love it. it. I really enjoy it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Science from the Experts from Purdue University Superheroes of Science. If you like this episode, subscribe, give us a positive view, and share the love. Boiler up! Hammer down!